Hello, you are listening to Beyond the Briefcase, a law school podcast with Sarah and Meg. This week, Sarah and I talk about summer placement applications as 1L students. Listeners, we also want to note that we are recording and releasing this episode after our applications. We will also be speaking generally and we will be uh, refraining from mentioning any firm names as well as any concrete details just for privacy reasons. Okay, let's get into it. So let's start off by talking about our expectations. So I can start off. The I really expected this to be a difficult process because I hate writing resumes. I hate writing resumes. I hate the cover letter process. I am not great at selling myself. I find it a very awkward experience. So I knew for a fact that this was going to be the biggest hurdle that I had to get over. I also didn't expect, I'll tell you what I didn't expect. I didn't expect for it to be so time consuming. Sarah, but how about yourself? Um, I did, I expected it to be easier than it was, but I did have specific circumstances that got in my way. Um, and I expected more support from the school that didn't happen. But again, that's just with kind of the different things that made it more difficult for me. But I do think I had an advantage going in because I just came out of the workforce. So all I had to do was adapt my resume to the specific format that law firms prefer because it, people do note that depending on the field you're in, it might not be the same type of resume that you had. For me, it was a, a change. But most of the content still for my resume I had. So all of the bullet points and different things like that. So a lot of it was honestly just copy pasting. Um, same as you, Meg, I think cover letters are very difficult. It was the same for me when I was writing my personal statement when applying to law school. It just doesn't feel natural for me to sell myself in the way that you have to sell yourself for a cover letter. So it's not that I can't recognize my strengths or maybe achievements or different things like that. It's just, I feel like the format and the structure that you have to follow and that is expected of you is, how do I say this? I don't want to say dishonest, but that's not what I mean, but like disingenuine. It's not the same as actually just having a conversation with someone during an interview, for example, and telling them, yeah, I did this, I did this. I think that this is a skill that I have. It's just the way it's written is just really forced and unnatural. And so that's something that I don't like. And it makes it difficult to review the cover letters because I'm rereading them and I think all of them are terrible. But technically, they follow everything that they need to follow. And if you send them to someone else, they're going to be like, yeah, that's good. And I'm like, uh, is it? Like, I sound like an automaton, you know, like some of the feedback I get, which is like, oh, you know, like Meg, you're so you're so energetic and personable. Make sure it sounds like that in your cover letter. I'm like, you're asking me to write like like a rote format, a rote genre, right? How am I supposed to do that? I completely agree with you, Sarah. Like I have always loved the interview process because that is an opportunity where I'm able to just let my natural affinity and proclivity for talking shine, right? I think, Sarah, you're someone who is so personable. You're so easy to talk to, right? I think you're really able to communicate a lot of your soft skills through talking. When you have to then try to replicate that in probably one of the most devastatingly wrote genres ever, (laughs) 
how are you going to do that? Like, I think it's impossible. I really think it's impossible. That's why I'm not the biggest fan of writing cover letters. And as a result, ugh, right, it's just so, it's just so ugh, not great. I, I think the two of us really are really extroverted when it comes to professional opportunities and networking like I've never struggled to reach out to people I've never struggled to I think talk to potential mentors potential coworkers, employers so on and so forth in a really good natured kind of way that to try to capture all of that into one page oh it's just so boring right no that's exactly it and another thing I would say that I expected but didn't expect, but this is something that I would maybe kind of warn people about is when you want to participate in the 1L Recruit, there are a lot of firms that are going to be involved, although there are a lot more in 2L, so I think this is important regardless. I, although it's nice to kind of throw your hat in the bunch and, and see what sticks, I think it's important to also potentially carve that out a bit more because or else it's going to take up such a significant amount of your time. And for me, why would you waste your important time when you're in law school for, let's say, a position that you don't really want, but you're just like, oh, well, it would look good to have a position in the one real recruit. No, it doesn't matter. People who have not gotten positions in the one real recruit still got great positions in New York or anything else after that. I'm not saying that it's not a great success for people that get a 1L position, but I don't think it's worth doing something that you are absolutely going to hate just to say, oh, I got a job through the 1L recruit. So I think it's important to really go through all of the applications, go through all of the firms and pick and choose and rank them as well from the get go. And then that way also, if you're getting closer to the application date, And you're like, look, I don't have the energy or anything like that to get all of these cover letters done. If you have that ranking already at the beginning, I think it's going to be very helpful because you'll know where to cut off. You'll know, okay, these these firms aren't as important for me. So if it just so happens that one of them, two of them, three of them, whatnot, I'm not able to apply to, I'll be okay, right? So I think that's important to note and to not just apply to a place because you think, let's say, it's going to be easy to get because it's not interesting. Like, no, 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 no. You'd rather do something interesting and something you're interested in. Trust me, you'll regret that during the summer. Also, let me say some firms with the amount of information they provide on the you know standardized portals make it a lot easier for you to get excited. And that's really important because they're not only assessing you to determine whether or not you'd be a good candidate for them. You're doing the same thing. So if you're really struggling to find information, if you're really struggling to build that kind of natural connection with a firm, you know what? That's probably a sign that one, it's going to be super hard for you to apply because like, how are you supposed to be authentic, right? How are you supposed to be authentic in a really rote genre? It's difficult as it is, but how are you going to do that when you barely have um, unique information? When you try to reach out to a firm, you know, and previous students and that information is either just not available or they don't really enthusiastically respond. I think that is pretty telling of uh, perhaps the experience that you'll get throughout the whole application process, right? So I, I, I would add that point to, to what Sarah said. And I think this connects super well with our next large talking point, which is our experience juggling 
placement applications with class and, right, and, the, and the rest of our academic work. I think in retrospect, I should not have dedicated so much time to it. I still did well, I like in terms of the kind of um, getting the applications done. I think I came out with a resume that I'm really proud of. And I don't think I neglected my classes. However, that was in exchange for so much work being done day to day. I was so tired. I was I was honestly pretty much on the precipice of burnout. So in retrospect, I should not have maybe put in that much energy because I had to wake up. So so my classes this semester start in the late morning and they go up until about five o'clock. And as a result, I had to wake up very early or what I would consider very early, you know, 637 ish to get started immediately on applications so that I could get a couple of hours of uninterrupted um, time to work on them before class, because then I had to get into my class mode. Right. And then after classes around five, you know, I wanted to like make dinner and do a bunch of other chores, hanging out with friends, fam- familial obligations. So I really could not have worked on those applications in the evening. That just would not have been possible. And as a result, I think I was burning the candle from both ends. It was so, so, so tiring, too tiring, I think, in exchange for what will probably happen in the actual recruit, right? Do not recommend it. Sarah, how about yourself? Um, I didn't have the exact same experience, but I think it's partially because other things happened that made it so I didn't really apply to a lot of different positions. But knowing what I was going to potentially have to do if all of this hadn't happened, I definitely suggest starting working on applications during the winter break um, and start working on the process even, I would say, a bit in the fall. Of course, you don't want it to interfere with your classes, but networking, different things like that, I think you shouldn't limit yourself to the beginning of the winter term. You're going to have way too much all at once. Um, And I also suggest creating a template of a cover letter that's going to just allow you to save time because you can follow it for each firm. You will have a clear idea of what you need to put in each paragraph. Some paragraphs are going to be able to be reused because firms are often looking for the same soft skills. For So when you're talking simply about your prior experiences, some of those can be reused. And then you have others, of course, that you're going to have to craft from scratch to make it authentic and to let them know why you want that specific firm, that specific practice area. But it is going to save you a lot of time than if you tried to do an entirely new cover letter every single time. And that's something that I've learned from when I was applying for jobs when I was in the workforce. I started off wanting to create uh, an entirely new cover letter for every single employer because I was like, that's going to allow me to stand out a lot more. They're going to see the effort that I put in. No, they won't. A lot of times they glance over your cover letter. They just want to see if it's relatively well written because it does count a lot of the times for them as a writing sample, keep that in mind. Even if they ask for a writing sample or if they do not, they will look at your cover letter as a representation of what you can do. So be careful with that. Of course, if there's like a minor typo typo here and there, I don't think it's going to prevent you from getting a position, but you definitely want it to be kind of good work on your part. So I would also suggest giving yourself time to review and edit them and not kind of writing a cover letter the day you're going to apply. 
Um, but yeah, that's what I would say hopefully would help kind of reduce the time commitment because it is a big time commitment. You don't think it's going to be at first, or at least I didn't, honestly. I thought it would be a lot more straightforward than it was, but they do ask for a lot of documentation. And I understand because, you know, they want to pick someone that's really going to work for them, but it also means that you have a lot of work to do on your end. And I feel like the way our school presented it, at least the CDO, they only started giving information right before, like really close to the application deadline. So don't take that for granted. Don't take that to assume that, oh, it's because you only really realistically need that two weeks. No, you need more than that. So even before getting that information from the CDO, look for it if you can and uh, start preparing the things that you know you're going to have to do because they're typical of just general kind of work applications. Of any kind of application. I absolutely agree. Um, you know, I, I think that this is, this is, again, lovely segue into our next section about what we did that really helped the process. So a lot of the, we can only speak for, I think, our experience in Southern Ontario where... Um, our, the legal society of the, prov of the province has very strict formal timelines about when firms are allowed to, you know, post their information, about even when our portal is allowed to be activated, so on and so forth, right? So as a result, you know, schools, career and development offices abide by those very strict deadlines. However, that does not mean that you have to, right? Uh, all of this information can be accessible, I think, through your school's um, previous materials. They really don't change that much, right? They, they may on the kind of incremental day-by-day day or minute-by-minute, minute, but the larger cycles are the same every year, right? Um, and as a result, there are tons of things that you can do before the last three weeks when a lot of this information is actually concretized, right? Uh, so for instance... I started my um, applications in the new year. I really should have done them, I think, or at least I should have started the logistical processes in late December. So obviously you can't predict exactly what the firms are going to kind of say or how many students they're looking for. To some extent, that information actually isn't very important to you, right? Um, however, for me, I felt like the kinds of little tactics that I could use to help organize all my applications, like making a really detailed spreadsheet or knowing the emails of the previous summer students that I wanted to reach out to or um, having a larger idea of what I wanted a resume to look like or the kinds of things I would have to inevitably cut out of a resume. Those things are not dependent on the recruit cycle, right? All of that information and all of those ideas are achievable before before the formal application process. I would highly recommend to get the logistical things out of the way, especially for me. The logistical stuff sometimes helps me to procrastinate, like not starting. So I think if you even get that done before the formal application, you will be able to actually concentrate on the substance, right? Rather than purely the procedural. No, I, I definitely echo that. And I think it's important to also rely on your mentors, reach out to students who have been successful getting a placement at the firm that you want or in a practice area that you want and ask them to review your materials. 
And when it comes to the career office, you can definitely ask them to review your materials as well. I think it's helpful. And task family, friends, really just to avoid typos and those types of mistakes that other people looking at what you've written will be able to identify a lot easier than you can uh, because a lot of the times you're going to be just rereading these over and over and over again your eyes are going to glaze over you wrote it so it's a lot more difficult to spot any of the area errors sorry that you may have made um, i think it's also important to create st strong relationships with a few firms rather than a huge amount they're going to be more likely to accommodate you if anything happens this is also going to depend on if you already know where you're headed. So this is more, I think, advice for people who have a clear idea of which firm they want to go into or which practice area. Um, because often 1L summer jobs are going to lead to 2L offers. Um, so that's another thing to keep in mind. If you don't know where you want to go, know that it's likely that if you get a position, they're probably going to give you another offer. And be careful not to feel too loyal. Because that's the thing that's happened to a lot of students and then they have difficulty moving to another firm later. So if you know that that's the type of person that you are, that if you spent a summer with a specific employer and they treated you well, you're going to feel kind of obligated to give back to them and to potentially come back the next summer. Be a lot more strategic then with the firms you're going to apply to and make sure that this is a firm that you would be happy to continue to well with. And if you know for a fact that you're interested, let's say in New York, or you're interested in firms that only hire in 2L, prepare yourself and make sure that you're not going to be swayed by that and kind of let it get in the way of what you actually want. Because keep in mind, firms are like any other employer. They do what's best for them. You gotta do what's best for you. And it is not true that it will negatively affect your relationship later on. I know a lot of people that did 1L with a specific firm, went into 2L with another firm, and then eventually went back to the first firm for their full-on career. They're not going to be angry with you to the point where we will never hire that person again. There's no grudges. It's business. And that's how they take it. So that's how you have to take it as well. And I also think it's important to remember that what you get in 1L is not going to affect what you get in 2L. So if you don't get a Bay Street firm offer and that's what you think you really wanted and whatnot, that doesn't mean that you're not going to get a Bay Street firm offer in 2L. Same thing for any other practice area as well. Um, when it comes to New York, for example, a lot of people didn't have any offers during the 1L recruit and they still got to New York. So it's important to know that if you're not sold on Bay Street, a lot of the 1L positions are on Bay Street there can be other better options for you. So don't feel pigeonholed into like a lot of people are applying for the one to recruit. I need to apply. No, not necessarily. There are a lot of other jobs and things that can open even more doors for you, like RA ships and things like that, where the skills are very transferable and they're looked upon very favorably by firms. So I would say to keep all of that in mind that you're playing a long game. It's so what a happens really long now, game. Yes. Exactly. What happens now is not determinative of what's going to happen later. And it's so easy, I think, particularly in the 1L recruit, because it's all so fresh, that it feels when something doesn't go your way. And I'll, I'll be very upfront. You know, I did not get the grades I wanted to get, right? So it's so funny because in the moment when you're like, when you get your grades back and 
you are still in the midst of applying, it feels catastrophic, right? It almost feels like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be a lawyer, which is like crazy talk, right? It's absolutely crazy talk. I think that because there are so few jobs in the first year at like larger firms, it is inherently a crapshoot. It cannot be, like it has to be uh, a play of statistics and a play on grades which are not indicative of your soft skills or your interests. It just is not, like it just cannot be. So I I would, if you have worked very hard for the, for the one hour recruit, something gets in your way or something changes, instead of only looking at things catastrophically, right? I, I'm not saying you shouldn't look at, <laughs> I'm not saying that it's not going to be hard to, to not look at it like that, right? In the moment. I would also say that you should say, you know what? I've done all this work now. This is going to save me so much time for next year's recruit because that is a, that's a definite, right? Like do not take all that work that you've done and just throw it away or just give up. Just go, you know what, regardless of what happens in the next couple of weeks, I now have a great resume that I will update so quickly for next year. Or I now have an amazing cover letter template. Or I now know these are areas that I'm struggling with. So next semester, I'm going to work harder or I'm going to reach out to profs or I'm going to reach out to upper year students and get better at these topics or at these skills. I would not let any kind of moment in the 1L recruit influence how you look at yourself and how you look at your career. I think it would just be a very, very um, sorry thing to do. And I think it's important as well. You're going to hear a lot if you're from U of T that, oh, you need a total of four H's during the term to get a job in the 1L recruit. Meaning if you get an HH, that's two H's. If you get an H, it's one H. I wouldn't listen to that too much because it's very variable. There are people that are going to have six H's because they only got HH's and won't get an offer. There's going to be people that only got P's that will get an offer. That has happened. So even if you're disappointed with your grades and you're like, oh, no, I didn't get those four H's or whatnot, whatever kind of criteria or threshold you had set for yourself, don't prevent it from letting you apply basically if you know that these are jobs that you want to try for still try for them because you never know what's going to happen like in just the employment market in general honestly it's not predictable so i would say don't kind of throw away everything that you worked on something else that i realized too is that there will be people who get really amazing grades that will not be applying for the positions that you want to apply for this is a huge thing right? Whether it's because they don't want to, or they're not interested in the topic, or they didn't think they were going to get such good grades, or some other extraneous reason, right? There's going to be tons of people who do really, really well on their grades and who do not apply to the things you want to. And there will also be, there will also be people who do not do well on their grades, but who will be maybe in their 30s, right? Who have this amazing previous work experience, right? So that's the amazing thing about law school is that people can come to it from any kind of point in life. So I would not let your grades f prevent you from even submitting your applications. Absolutely not. That is like, 
do not do that. If you have worked hard on your applications and you get your grades back and they were not what you hoped for, send them off anyways because, you know, like this is a famous Wayne Gretzky quote, right? Like don't, 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 don't be the sole reason why you 100% do not get an interview. No, that's good. I like that quote, actually, <laughs> especially in this, these circumstances. It's really important and it's easy to forget. I myself caught like the thoughts of, OK, if I don't get this, then that means I just have to kind of ignore the recruit altogether. No, 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 no. Do not do that. The worst that's going to happen is you won't get any interviews, but that's going to be the same exact outcome if you decide not to apply. So why not take that small little chance that, oh, maybe you're going to get an interview or two or three or there's a lot of more surprising things that, that have happened. So I would definitely um, just, you know, take the chance. And Sarah, I know that you I think you're very good with networking and and, and fostering um, mentorships. I think that you um, did a really good job of not like backlogging your your mentor or like uh, what's that word called like when you when you get up to the the application date and you're like I should probably reach out to a bunch of people right like yes because because lawyers are also really busy right so uh, I would also be careful about just talking to people casually and reaching out to people throughout the semester right or or even just talking to people in general without the sole purpose of getting to include them on your cover letter, right? That's a, in general, being authentic is a really good way to network. No, that's really important. And although they do recommend putting names on your cover letters, and I don't say not to do that, you definitely don't want to try to put in a bunch of coffee dates or dates, uh, whatever, (laughs) chats, right before the applications. At the risk of sounding too much of a keener, I would even do it as soon as you get your law school acceptance. I would start reaching out because the easiest way is be- to start with alumni because yep. you then have that clear connection. You're like, Oh, I just got into the university of Toronto. Yep. And then you can branch out to maybe people, maybe people in higher positions, associates who have been there for X amount of years and all that stuff. Um, but I would say it's better to do it incrementally than try to bunch it right before the recruit, because it's going to affect the quality of those interactions. It's going to affect, what they remember about you like these lawyers are going to be meeting with basically all of your classmates at the same time for everyone that that forgot to do it kind of beforehand and so it's going to be a lot harder for you to stand out if you reached out to them long before it's likely that they're going to know your name and that's something that happened to me where i was talking to someone and they're like oh yeah i remember i remember your name i remember talking to you before and we had talked, obviously, not meeting in person. And then eventually I met them in person and they still remembered. And I feel like that would be less likely if I had just reached out to them in the winter. And also keep in touch with them after your applications too. Do not cut ties off if you do not get an interview. Or if you do get an interview and you do not get a job, do not, if you, if you formed a good connection with someone, they're not representative of that firm, right? Like why keep in touch with them? Because whether it's the case that you want to work at that firm one day or you're like, you know what? I've actually developed other interests. Who cares, right? Like people, people, if you have taken the time to form 
good connections with people, you should always just keep those ties on, right? Like, and, and I feel like that is a good thing to do because otherwise these relationships can appear quite superficial and transactional, right? They're, you know, I, I, I think that the more time you keep in touch with people, people will naturally understand that you don't want to use them just for a name or you don't want to use them just to get into what, like a 1L summer position, right? Like how, how, how superficial is that, right? So I would also recommend not just starting earlier, but also, you know, keeping those ties onward, regardless of how you do in the 1L recruit. Exactly. And one thing to do is you might feel like you don't have that many questions for them. You can ask them about anything. Ask them about their previous law school experiences. Ask them, you know, things that you're experiencing in the day to day. You can reach out to them and be like, you know what, I had this question for you. Or t- tiny little things just to maintain the bond, like Meg-, Meg said, is very, very important. And also, even if you don't wind up working for that firm, these are people that you might work alongside or against. <laughs> you know, depending on the work you're going to do and who they're representing and all that. And although we're in Toronto, I would say the law, the law community is quite small. So that's important to keep in mind. Also, that brings me to something when you're at networking events. Keep in mind that all of these people know other people at other firms. And so not only how you present yourself, but what you say about other lawyers and other firms is very important. If you had a bad experience with a lawyer or firm, that happens. You didn't like the culture. That happens. Do not bring it up to other lawyers. It does not matter. They do not care. Vent with your family, vent with your friends, but definitely do not do that during a networking event because it will affect your reputation. I think so too. I think that um, I heard this great uh, phrase used by, by, by by a person I spoke to who they were basically like where people lawyers are people who take their work seriously, but not themselves seriously. So I think that when you're networking with people, for me, I don't like to do a scattergun approach. I like to just talk to individual people. And if I form that kind of connection, great, keep on talking to them. There's no need to bounce around. Um, But also it's like, just be chill, (laughs) just be chill. And like a nice person and, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say it at all. Like truly, there's no point in getting into the thick of the weeds with people you know only through a professional level, right? Like keep keep those boundaries um, tight. I, I, I think that's a good point. And that's something important to stress as well, I think, for the 1L recruit because all of this is so new to people, right? It's new for me. It's very new for me. Um, so having that insight from the get-go is important. Oh, oh my goodness. Okay. Our last talking point, Sarah, do you wish you had done anything differently or, or maybe a a more optimistic way to phrase this question? What do you want to do for 2L? Oh, good question. I think definitely starting the process earlier is going to be important and asking questions to key offices. So career development office, records office, all of that. I think I neglected that part and really focused strictly on getting information about the firms, getting networking. um, And those are important as well, um, just because you are associated with the law school. And again, these offices are going to be key in organizing the recruits. 
um, when it comes to your jobs while you're still in school, they are really fundamental in the process. Um, reaching out directly to a firm is good, but it's not all you can do and you have to go through these portals and you have to follow these processes and it's different than if you were already working as a lawyer reaching out to a firm to change firms so do not ignore the procedural elements do not ignore the logistics they take up so much time and brain energy and happiness (laughs) honestly (laughs) figuring out like and i i say this i think as someone who is like a first generation law student and does not have like you know lawyers in the family right where if there are not people in your immediate circles who can help you with these logistics or technologies or softwares or or um, in order to apply to this program, you have to, or this firm, you have to be able to offer X, Y, Z, A, B, C, D. Make sure you know those exactly, right? And take the time to do that. I agree with you, Sarah. Like for, for students who do not have people in their immediate circles who will be able to give them these really quick and dirty pieces of advice it will take you so much time and and energy to figure it out that's a really really good point but also don't let it stop you it's not because you're the first lawyer in your family both meg and i are that you're gonna have less opportunity than anyone else ignore people if you hear them talking about oh I have an in at this firm because my dad knows this person or whatnot some people will share that some people won't though to make sure that they don't look like they only got into law school because of you know nepotism or whatnot but if you hear that don't let it affect you because you can definitely create those relationships on your own it is not impossible it's actually easier than i ever expected it to be so don't let that stop you and just reach out again and again and if uh, someone that you reached out to doesn't answer you immediately that doesn't mean that they'll never answer you follow up try another email there's so many ways that you can get in touch with someone and a lot of the time it's honestly not that they're ignoring you, it's an honest mistake. They have too many emails that day and that one got lost. It got sent to their junk mail. There's so many different reasons that, that I've heard from people that I eventually got in touch with that they didn't have to tell me, but oftentimes they feel bad because they do want to help and support students. And it's something as simple as that that prevented them from getting you the first time. So that's why also don't kind of let it stop you immediately continue trying yeah and as law students i mean think about how neurotic and um self-analyzing you are does that change when you become a lawyer i don't think so (laughs) i think i think all of the people i've spoken to have been so nice and encouraging who you are as a law student which i think for us and all the people i've met at law school you know, eager, eager to help, very smart, very caring. That does not change when you're a lawyer. So like, don't let the years of experience uh, or or the specific position title make you think that these are people that are not reachable, right? Because like everyone had to have gone to law school. Everyone had to have articled. Everyone had to have like tried out for these summer placements, right? So you guys have all been from the exact same position at some point. 
you're just doing it in 2023 or 2024. They did it in whatever, 2005, whatever the case is, right? So I, I would not let, I would not let logistics dissuade you from networking and reaching out truly, truly. Um, and, and also don't get too absorbed. Do not get too obsessed with this. Like focus on your studies. Also, not just on your like academic ability, just focus on how much you love the topics, right? Like, and how much you love learning about all of these cool things. I think the moment you turn law school into a chore or into something you're terrified of, like you, it's going to be a really difficult time. As long as law school and like different legal like like different practice areas and different topics remain just really interesting and fun like who cares if you don't get in immediately or when it, when you do get in it's going to be so so fun i think i think that's an important word to to keep in mind oh oh my gosh <laughs> we've talked too much i think that's no we haven't talked too much but i think that's good to end on of yes. course um if you guys are interested, we can do a follow-up once we've gone through the other steps of the recruit, because of course we're talking to you after having the applications completed, but we haven't gone through call day. We haven't gone through the offer day. We haven't gone through also further applications through the university or through some firms don't follow the LSO um, requirements. And typically, just so you know, they can be big firms. They're just gonna name the positions differently. If you're looking at a summer student position, it's going to be through the 1L recruit. They might offer some sort of internship, externship, different things like that. And that allows them to circumvent the strict process. So keep that in mind as well when you're looking um, for jobs. You might have a firm that you want to work at that doesn't seem to have a 1L position that actually has one. It's just hidden. Mm. Yeah, very good point. Very good point. Yeah, let's do let's do another well, listeners, look out for another episode on um, summer applications down the line. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Briefcase. Next week, we're going to bring our first guest episode of season two. We're going to be chatting with Jennifer Friedman, the first ever general counsel for the Ontario Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals and a specialist in animal law. So if you're really interested in learning about this um, I think still quite a niche area of law. Be sure to tune in to our episode next week. If you liked this episode, rate, review, subscribe, share with your friends. Check out our Instagram at Beyond the Briefcase Podcast to keep in touch as well as up to date to all of our episodes. Thank you so much, Adam, our technical producer. And of course, thank you, listeners. I've been Meg. I've been Sarah. Bye. <laughs>